Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought out for our lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him. And let her lie in your bosom, so that our lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. What does that mean, the king did not know her? Just to make sure we're on the same page here. Yeah, they were not intimate together. Okay, so first of all, it's amazing to me that people can be in such an intimate setting, right? Because she would lie in his bosom to keep him warm, but they were not intimate. So there was something very pure about that relationship. And this woman served David in that way, but was not obtaining anything from the relationship as she would with somebody she would be married in terms of intimacy and closeness. And she did this to serve the king. The very next verse is really important. And the fact that it comes right after what we just read is very important. Then it says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And then it says, he conferred in verse 7 with Joab and with Abiathar the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So right now, we are looking at a conspiracy. And that conspiracy was, instead of Solomon becoming king, whom David said was going to be king, Adonijah declared himself king and had 50 men run in front of him proclaiming him as king. It's everything I told you not to do, right? About don't promote yourself. Don't exalt yourself. Stay in the hidden place. He does the opposite. So much so as to usurp the future crone, the, the future throne from the future king. And with him went a priest and the commander of the army who was Joab. When Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, heard about this, she realized that Solomon's life was in danger. Why? The first thing Adonijah would do when he becomes king is to kill Solomon. Because then he's not threatened by him anymore. Because everyone knew that David was training Solomon to be king. He publicly said, help my son because he's young when he's going to be king. He raised up an offering to help his son who would be king to build the temple. So this was an outright rebellion. But Bathsheba recognized what was going on. And she went to the chamber of the king, bowed, and said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God Is it okay? Ah, we're back. Can you turn it up just a little more? My voice is starting to go. So she says, You swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Now look, Adonijah has become king, and now my lord the king, you do not know about it. He sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle. 
in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant, he has not invited. So she tells him what happened. And she has Nathan the prophet come in at the same time so that there would be two people telling him that were close to him, this is not good. And of course when David hears that, he calls Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he says to them, you need to go and you need to proclaim Solomon king right now. So they do that. And when they do that, and they play the flutes, and they rejoice with great joy, the Bible says the earth seemed to split with their sound. So there was a big celebration that David, the rightful king, had ordered for Solomon, the next king, to be done and to install him as king. Okay? Verse 41. Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good news. And Jonathan answered and said, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. You got to understand how much power is in those words. It's one thing for Adonijah to make himself king. It's another thing for the king himself to declare who the king is. Let God say what you are about you. Let the king speak about you what you are and not your own mouth. thing that happens, they're terrified. And they realize they're in trouble. And basically, Adonijah retreats, right? Everybody scatters as they would. And all the guests who were with Adonijah went his, each went his way. And Adonijah was afraid of Solomon and went and took hold of the horns of the altar, which was a mercy stance. It was a position of pleading for his life. And it was told Solomon... Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came down, fell down before the king, and Solomon said to him, go to your house. It's one of my favorite sayings, and I wish I could say that as a pastor to people sometimes. Go to your house. <laughs> we have a good friend in Greece who pastors a church, and he's a wonderful leader and an amazing preacher. And very apostolic and very meek, very humble man, but has a lot of authority. And one time they had a wonderful service and a person came to him and said, uh, may I make, it was a new person that had just come for the first time. And he said, may I make um, a critique of, of, of your service? And my friend said to him, no, you may not. You may thank us for our hospitality and go to your house. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> Lekas. <laughs> I can hear it say. Yes, yes. Okay. What does all that have to do with Abishag? And what does all this have to do with honor? We're getting there. What I want you to understand and to keep in mind is the pieces to this story. David cannot be warm, so they bring Abishag to keep him warm. And in one of the most intimate ways people can be together, they are together 
but they are not intimate in a way where that becomes a union of two becoming one. Next thing that happens, the son of David, Adonijah, usurps the throne, or tries to, from his brother Solomon. That rebellion is thwarted. And now you have Adonijah going to his house after his life being spared. And Abishag, what of Abishag? The next thing that happens is where it starts to get really interesting. And it says... Yeah, so David, so David dies, tells Solomon who to kill, who to feed, does all the stuff we talked about yesterday. And the next thing that happens is chapter 3. Now remember, yesterday we ended with saying, thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. By doing what his father told him to do, he gets the kingdom and he's running it his way. Chapter 3, verse 1 is where things really start to heat up. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed and on and on and on. And then in verse 5, we read about the Lord asking Solomon what he wants. And he asks for wisdom. Why? We already saw this. He already was wise. And he gives wisdom to the wise. So he asks for wisdom. He's given wisdom. And then they have this whole thing about the women with the baby. When they bring the baby, whose baby is it? He says, bring me a sword. I'll give you each half. By that, the identity of the real mother is confirmed because the real mother said, give her the baby. Don't cut the baby. The other mother said, I don't care. Give me half. Give me my half. He's like, give it to her. It's her baby. Right? Listen to what happened after he did this. After Solomon judged the way he did, all Israel, verse 28, heard the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So remember, he was already wise. His own father said he was wise. But now he makes a judgment that shows everyone that he's wise. And now everyone has a leader they can follow. The next thing that happens is that he's ruling over everything. Everything's going great. And then his mother Bathsheba comes in. I'm trying to find exactly where that is. In chapter 2, Bathsheba comes to Solomon, and it begins with verse 13. Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. So this is Adonijah, who had gone to his house. I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. Then he said, you know the kingdom was mine. And all Israel set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's. For it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. Right. So, so now Adonijah, who was going to be the king by his own declaration and activity, who is not the king, goes to Bathsheba and says, you know I was going to be king. And you know that all of Israel, which is, I'm going to teach you something right now. Whenever people say, people are saying, it's a move of manipulation. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I have a problem with you, and other people do too, that's a manipulation move and an intimidation tactic. People are saying. He was hardly king for one day. How could Israel have their expectations on him? But that's how manipulators work. 
So then he does the other manipulative thing, which my kids know really well. I'm going to ask something from you, and you can't say no to me. <laughs> right? Where they want you to promise you'll give them what they say before they tell you what it is. The mother of James and John did that with Jesus. I'm going to ask you something, don't deny me. Right? Remember that? And he said she wanted one to sit on his left and one on his right. Then he said, Please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. So Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak for you for the king. This, between us, before we read on, just so you know the secret, this was worse than the first rebellion. It's just more subtle. That's how that spirit that wants to destroy, it's, I call it an anti-Christ spirit. It doesn't mean it's anti-Jesus. It's anti-anointing. It's anti-Christos, which means anti-anointed. It's against all those who are in places of authority they should be in, and it doesn't want them there. It's a powerful force of the enemy that we have to be aware of but not afraid of, that we have to be prepared against. If it can't win by intimidation, it will try to win by manipulation. On one side is the dragon. On the other side is the handshake. They're trying to get Solomon to agree to something that will be like giving over the kingdom. Why? Because they're asking for Abishag, who is a woman unlike any other you will find in the whole Bible. She gave herself completely, freely to the king without anything in return. And her life would never be the same. She knew she couldn't marry again because she had been with David, the king. And she knew that she couldn't marry again because she had been with David because by being with David and serving him the way she did, to be with her would be like having the kingdom. And Adonijah knew it. So he asks for her is a consolation prize for not becoming king. Knowing that if he has her, he might as well be king. I don't know if you've ever faced this because you're younger than many of us here, but there's a saying in one of the books about leadership that says, you can be the leader, but when the real leader speaks, everyone knows it. Which means there can be someone who has an edge over the leader, whether it be through gifting or something else. Like Joab had an edge over David at times because David had given him a note to pull away from the battlefront so that Bathsheba's husband would die. Remember that? So David put himself at a disadvantaged position with his general... And the general had advantage and leverage over David. And sometimes leaders can do that. But sometimes it could be manipulation that gets someone in that position. Or it could be gifting. And when the real leader speaks up is when people listen. So Adonijah knew, hey, I'll let Solomon be king. But if I get her, in the eyes of the people, they will know that I'm ruling. And Solomon is just a matter of time before something is done. You follow me? You with me so far? So Bathsheba agrees to go to Solomon. I don't know if Bathsheba knew what she was doing or didn't know. I, I, that's a mystery to me. I don't know. I would like to know. I have to talk to her to know, and I intend to. Why are you laughing? 
We can't talk to the dead, right? Is she dead? Just, I'm just asking questions. I'm not making statements. Okay. So Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak for you to the king. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. Look at what Solomon does. The moment she walks in, he stands up. Right? He bows to her because it's his mother. And then he orders that they bring a throne and set it next to his throne for her. What is that? So Solomon honors. Now, you have to understand, Solomon wasn't hanging around in the palace by himself. Who knows who was there? The queen of Sheba might have been there. Bible says all the kings of the earth sought the wisdom of Solomon. At any given time, there was a G8, G12, G21 summit going on. There were people there. He honors her. And then she says, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. So she pulls the same thing. And the king said to her, listen to this because this is critical. Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So now Solomon binds himself with a commitment to his mother that whatever she asks him, he will give her. Gets interesting, doesn't it? So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. Did any of you see the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, from the Chronicles of Narnia? Who was the little boy that was kind of gullible and the witch kind of... Edmund, yes. right? Remember how Edmund liked the Turkish delight, and she seduced him with the Turkish delight, and he's in her palace... And then she asks him something, and he says something, and then the music changes, and everything goes dark. That's what just happened in Solomon's court. No more Turkish delight. Listen to this. Now King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. For him and for Abiathar the priest and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord. He had just told his mother, I'll do whatever you say. He now swears by the Lord. May God do so to me and more also. If Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore... As the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me as he has promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. Wow. I want to ask you something. Why did Solomon ask his, tell his mother, I'll do whatever you ask me, mother? And then not only does he not do what she asked him, the guy asked for a wife. Solomon had him killed. What happened here? Why does he tell his mother, whatever you say, I'll do, and then not do it? And why did all this happen? Who did he promise he would do whatever she said? Bathsheba, who was his mother. As his mother, a son promised to do whatever she wants. When she asked what she wanted, 
he was no longer her son doing whatever he promised to do as a son. The moment she asked what she wanted, he becomes king who was put in that position by God through David. And from his governmental seat, he executes justice because he saw the conspiracy coming back up again to suddenly take the throne and ultimately his life. So this is what I, this is what was revealed to me through this that I'm sharing with you. By honoring his mother, Solomon is protected by honor to where he can see and understand what is really going on behind the scenes. And by understanding and seeing what's going on behind the scenes, he is safe. And he lives. Honor your mother and your father that it may go well with you and you may live a long life. Isn't that the promise? So his reign it depends on what he does in this instant. Because his father David said to him, you've got to watch from these people. They're dangerous. They're manipulative. You've got to take them out. He gives his brother a chance when he rebels and usurps the throne. Tells him to go to his house. He comes at it from a different angle. And the angle is, if he can get her, he will have the credibility of a king. And he will be a thorn in the side of his brother until he gets rid of him. It's the same tactic. It's the same result with a different tactic. So the moment Bathsheba says, this is what I want, after he's promised her as a son to honor what she says, he no longer acts as a son of Bathsheba. He acts as the king, the son of David, whom God made king. Can you see it? Honor is not just a weapon that is on an offensive weapon, like we saw earlier. It is also a defensive weapon that protects us. It safeguards us. It shields us. Write this down. Honor is the facilitator of advancement. And honor ensures our safety throughout the advancement process. It's through honor that you will advance. I promise you. Over lunch with the staff, something came back to me that that I shared with them in a certain context that I'm going to take that out of that context because that was between me and them. But it was, it was about this time when I worked for a, a church as, a, as an associate leader. And my responsibility was to shovel the, the, the snow from around the premises so that when people came to church, they could access the building well. And the leader of the church was a good man. I believe he meant well, but he, he was of that generation that believed that you should work hard all the time and not work smart. Like you shouldn't, what I mean by smart is you don't need equipment, you just need your arms. So I offered to buy a snowblower that gets rid of the snow nicely. It's a machine and it throws the snow. It's beautiful. Right? It's just lovely. You just push behind it and you watch the snow get out of your way instead of doing this all day. Right? So I offered to actually buy the machine so that my job would be easier. And he wasn't favorable 
about doing that because he believed you have to pay your way and pay your price to be a leader by shoveling the snow with your arms and paying the price. And he was very hard about it. He wasn't nice about it. It wasn't like, you know, you have a good idea, but I believe it will benefit you more if you do this. It wasn't like that. It was harsh. So I decided, well, at first I was frustrated, and then I overcame the frustration with honor. And the, the honor part was, I'm going to honor what he wants, even though it doesn't make sense to me. But I'm not going to stop there. I'll do more than what he wants, though it makes no sense to me. But the extra that I do is for the Lord. So the path I had to do in one section was about this wide. When we had a lot of snow, it was a lot of shoveling. And it went really far, maybe from here to the, to the edge of that pathway. And I would shovel it. And I decided to go one foot in each direction into the grass where people wouldn't be walking anyway. And that would be my offering to the Lord. So I would shovel it and I would shovel the extra foot and I would say, this is for you, Lord. I want to honor you by honoring him and doing this. And no one knew that until I started speaking about it years later. It was just me and the Lord. So instead of becoming bitter about the fact that he would not even allow me to buy the equipment that would help me. Think about it. It's my money. And you know why he said I couldn't do it? Because he said, I don't want that equipment on my property that I was actually living on. I could have been so offended, but you know what offense does? It blocks you from your destiny. Offense will keep you from getting as far as you're going to go. It will stop you right there. So instead of becoming offended, I chose to go beyond what he said. And it was my deal with God. When the church opened up that I am now leading, and I was sent to lead this church by my pastor... The day before they sent us out, he said these words, because you have served me diligently and honorably, you will never lack for helpers in the church you're going to lead, lead now. It had to be said by someone who had authority to say it. It had to come from him. Just like Saul, on two occasions, said to David, you are going to be king and you will do mighty things. Saul had to say it because he was the king. But it was the honor David gave him that brought him to that place to say it. Can you see that we are a part of something that's bigger than us? Honor, number one, takes me out of me. This is not about us. We are part of a cosmic battle. And we are his cosmic pets. We are in a cosmic engagement with principalities, with powers, with rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of willingness in the heavenly places. We are engaged with heaven on earth. We are engaged with principalities here on earth. It's bigger than us. Right? But if we follow the ways of the Father, we're in alignment with things to happen His way. And there had to be declaration that David would be king by the king. There had to be declaration I would never lack helpers from the one I helped. And guess what? He said it, and to this day, we have never lacked for helpers. Cinco will tell you, and Lori, I think, was there too. When, when did you come? 2010? 
Yeah, that was when we built the new building, right? Yeah, $1.2 million project was done for 350000 only, one-third because of the helpers. And then paid off in half the time we were going to pay it off. Never lacked for anything. Because of one word, in the right moment, by the right person. But it wasn't there that the word was birthed. It was in the snow. It was honoring a father. That it may go well with you. And you may have a long life. Let's just push this a little further. Let's, let's, let's leave the mother and father for a second and let's look at another incident here. I want to ask you something. In what culture is it okay for a married woman to tell another married man, my husband's an idiot, and when you are promoted, don't forget me. In what culture is it okay for a woman to speak so badly of her husband and then to ask the man she's talking to who is married to marry her when he's promoted? Not, not one culture, I promise you. It did happen, and it happened with someone that we esteem. We esteem Abigail. We think... She was awesome. Was she? Of course. Then how is it okay for her to say that about Nabal, even though it was true? I know many women who are married to men like Nabal. Can they say that? Can they ask another man to marry them while they're married? Is there any culture where that's acceptable? So what was going on? What was going on in that story to make that not just okay, but awesome? It all has to do with honor. Perhaps you know this story. David needed food for his men. But this was after he and his men had protected the herds, the, the sheep shearers of Nabal, who were shearing sheep in the wilderness. And David and his men, the Bible says... It was as though there was a wall around Nabal's men because of David. David took responsibility with his men and said, while these people are out here, nobody harms them. Isn't that amazing? And he didn't do it with an agenda. But later on when he has a need, he appeals to the leader of those men, Nabal, and says, I, we need some food, we need some provision, will you help us? The Bible says that Nabal was a hard man and he not only refused David, but he insulted David. And he insulted David by saying, who is this son of Jesse? And then he said these words, many these days run away from their masters. Why should I supply their need? What he was speaking of was David running from Saul. And he was identifying with Saul as the master and not recognizing David as the future king. Did you know that Nabal was the only person that did not affirm that David would be king? Have you ever wondered why God took him out? Because the Bible makes it very clear that God killed him. I know, that was before God became a Christian. But God killed him. It says God struck him and he died. I believe it has to do with the fact that from the moment God said David will be king, everyone in his path starts to say it. Whatever's spoken over you, you have to be in an environment from now on where people will affirm it until it happens. Surround yourself with those who will continually proclaim what is declared over your life here. Because it has to be framed out through the prophetic, and it has to be framed out continually in the prophetic. It's not just a one-time thing. So who was the first person to recognize that David would be king? Tell me. 
$2 bill. Who? No, after, 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 after he's proclaimed king, obviously the family sees it. But who was the first person to declare it? Jonathan. Good job. No, it's $2. Those are hard to find. So, Jonathan, who was the son of the king who could have said, I'm going to be king, said, you're going to be king. And I'm behind you, basically. Right? And then the women wrote a song, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands, which when you look at the original language, and what that really means is, Saul was a good king, but David will be a better king. Okay? And then, little by little, person after person, the priests in Nob, the high priest, little by little, there's declaration being made until Saul himself says it twice. And on both occasions, it was when he was going to kill David and David spared his life. And then Saul came back semi-repenting and saying, you're going to be king. What was happening? Heaven was orchestrating the declaration and the affirmation of David as king by the king. Which is what my leader said. You see it? This is their deal, not ours. So everyone has said it except Nabal, who said, who is this son of Jesse? I don't recognize him. I don't honor him. He's nobody to me. He's a vagabond. He's running away from the law. Who is Saul? When David heard this, he was incensed. He was enraged. And David was not right. It's very clear. It's very, we need to understand that David was as wrong there as he was about Bathsheba. Because when he heard that Nabal said, no, I'll give him no food. Who is this guy? He decided not just to kill Nabal, but every man from his house. That's a little too much. <laughs> it took it too far. But think about it. David and his mighty men, one of those men killed 800 people in a confrontation. Another guy killed 300 and jumped in the lair of a lion and killed in, a, on a, on, in the den of a lion on a snowy day. Another one of those guys took the club out of the hand of his opponent and killed him with his own club. Like these guys were intense. And now David is turning all of them to go kill Nabal because he wouldn't give them food. It was wrong. It was like taking the Israeli military and going after Omodos High School. Or Omodos is a village up the road. <laughs> like, what do those kids have? Stones. Right? To bring the entire force of a military again. That's what David was. If one person kills 800, it was wrong. And Abigail the wife of Nabal knew that it was wrong. And she goes to intercede, not for Nabal, but for David. See, she knows actually he would be doing her a favor to get rid of Nabal. Because he's a hard man. He's hard to her. He's probably abusive. Right? But she sees what's happening and she sees that Nabal's foolishness is causing David to respond in the way he's being treated. And if he does what he's about to do, he could disqualify himself from what he's supposed to become. It was innocent blood at the end of the day and David couldn't shed innocent blood. So she intercedes for the destiny of David and hers ultimately and not for Nabal. So what does she do? And this is critical. She takes responsibility. If there's nothing else you learn, learn the value of taking responsibility as a leader and as a son of God on the earth. 
Joseph took responsibility over every hole, every prison cell, every place they ever threw him in. Everything that seemed to go wrong, he took responsibility over it, and that's why he ruled from it. Joseph ruled in every prison they ever threw him in. He ruled, he fell in the hole upwards. He ruled the slave house. He ruled the prison cell. He then ruled Egypt. He saved the world because he took responsibility. And different ones, you can see it, they take responsibility. And, and Abigail takes responsibility for what somebody else did that was wrong, and that was her husband. So she takes all these different things. You can read about them, cakes and, 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 and food and all these items. And she loads up the donkey and she goes out to meet David, who's on his way with those mighty men to kill Nabal and all the others. Yes? Well, it says that when he was in the slave house, he, he handled the matters of his master in a way that his master wouldn't have to worry about a thing. So he took responsibility to make sure that everything is okay for the master. And then when he's in the prison, it says that he ran the prison for the, for the, the warden of the prison, and they ended up giving him responsibility over the prison. It was as though Joseph was running the prison, it says. That's what I mean. So if you can take responsibility with the small things, we already saw that on day one, right? You'll be given responsibility over bigger things. So Abigail takes all this stuff and bows herself before David and does this whole thing and basically says to him, you can't do this. And I want us to actually read that because it's such a moving, it's such a moving episode. It's such a, it's, it's a 1 Samuel 25 She says, well, 25. When Abigail saw David, she dismounted, verse 23. She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. In other words, I'm taking responsibility for what happened to you. But now you have to listen to me. Please, let my, not my Lord regard this scoundrel, Nabal. She's speaking of her husband. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, what is she speaking of here? Since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hand. What is she talking about? Saul. She knows the word got out that David could have killed Saul but didn't. So she says, you got this far. You've done so well. You didn't kill him when you could have. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and to seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you. 
nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. There it is. Marriage proposal by Abigail to David. It was honor that saved him. It was honor that preserved him. So what I told you to write down is that honor is the facilitator of advancement from one stage to the next, from one promotion to the next. And it will transition you safely throughout the different stages because it will guard your heart, keep you from pride, keep you from carnality that can block the plan that God has for your life. Yes, Kenar. It. Yeah. Who has it? Because I. Who has it written down? Who got it? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Somebody. And it will safe. It will safeguard your transition from one stage to the next. What else? Keep you from the banality or carnality. Keep you from pride during the different stages of advancement. Honor will keep you humble. Honor will keep you broken. Honor will keep you aligned with the heart of God. Because it is his heart. It's a high expression of love. 